ask you a question. Why are you here? You say, well, pastor, it's Sunday. We're here because it's church, right? Well, that's not really what I mean. I mean, why are you here? Why are you on this planet? For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about our, our origin, how we got here, our creation, right? We've been talking about that. And, and uh, are we a product of chance? And many in the scientific world, not all, but many in the scientific world, the academic world and, and the philosophic world all argue that we're just the products of chance. We're just a cosmic accident. And if we are, then, well, life is kind of meaningless, isn't it? And why we're here is kind of meaningless. But if God created us, that changes everything. And it causes us to want to answer the question, why are we here? Well, in the passage that I want us to look at today, I want to talk about that whole idea of why did God create you? Why did God design you? And you are, you do have a divine design. You're, you're not, as we've talked about the last two weeks, you're not a cosmic accident uh, at all. You're a special creation of God. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me this morning as we read our passage, beginning in verse 13. I think your outline in your worship folder says 14, but we're going to start with verse 13. Psalm 139. This is David and, uh, who's uh, saying these things. And uh, well, look at what verse 13 says. He's, For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, remember that word knitted. I'm going to come back to it in just a second. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every, this is a great verse. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Wow. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Now speak to our hearts this morning. Thank you that you have designed us. We are of divine design, and we thank you for that. Help us to grasp what that means today. Father, speak into our life your truth. Cause us, Father, to be challenged by it, to be encouraged by it, and where needed to be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Now, as I said, this is a Psalm of David and David is amazed at the precision that, uh, that God used in crafting him. And that's what he's really, this is kind of a Psalm of praise, if you will. David in this section is praising God because he, he recognizes that, that God specifically designed him and specifically designed him for a purpose. You notice he, he uses the word knitted. Look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. And that word knitted carries the idea of being uh, like a tapestry or something that's been embroidered. Have you ever seen embroidery? Have you ever seen embroidery? Raise your hand if you've seen something that's been embroidered. My mom used to do that when I was a kid. She loved to do that. She embroidered things. And it's interesting because if you look at something that's embroidered, if you look on the front, man, it looks all together, right? But if you turn it over on the back, it just looks like a jumbled mess of different colors of string. And that's kind of sometimes the way we look at our life. We think, man, my life is a mess. My life is chaotic. But when, when, God, when God formed you, he was 
knitting you. He was embroidering you. He was pulling you together. And guess what? If you look from God's perspective, he sees that there is this pattern to your life. There is this divine design in your life. And that's kind of the message that David is giving us here in this passage, that you are not a a product of of chance, that you're not just uh, uh, an accident, a cosmic accident. You were intricately, he says, and specifically designed by the hand of God. And that's a very powerful uh, note for us as we understand why we are here. And David, of course, goes into great detail, as we'll see in these verses, to help us understand that because we are the special divine creation of God, we have a a special divine purpose from God. And listen to this. It is okay for you, if you understand this, to say, I'm special. Because that's really what God was saying to David. You're special, David. I created you and crafted you uniquely. And you say, yeah, but that's David. No, the point is, that's true of all of us. You have been divinely designed. You have been specifically crafted. Now, the myth that we've been looking at in this series, the series, of course, as you know, is called Myths That Lead to Misbelief. In other words, things that are popularized often outside in our culture, but then are uh, strangely uh, adopted by many believers and they mislead us. So what we're looking at is the myth, and then today I want to talk to you about what is the truth then. The myth that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks goes like this. Man was not divinely created, but is merely the product of random chance and evolution. We, that's a myth, and we've talked about it. Go back and listen to those two previous messages, if you will. Uh, and, and we talked about how that you can't substantiate that scientifically, even by uh, science's own Uh, scientific laws, it won't hold up that you're just a product of chance. And then, of course, it's completely inconsistent with Scripture that tells us uh, how God created us and crafted us. Uh, You're just not an an accidental product. That's what we've been talking about. You're just not the result of some, as I've said, prehistoric lightning striking some prehistoric soup and causing amino acids and proteins to form and then a tadpole crawling out of the liquid. That's an oversimplification. You're just not, that's not what you are. You're not a product of chance, but you are instead a product of the design of God. And so that begs this question, then why did God create me? Why did God create you? It's a great question. And people for uh, as long as humanity uh, has been on the planet, my guess is all the way back to the garden is why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? Why do I exist? So here's the truth. Now this is on your outline. So what is the truth? The truth is this, you were carefully designed and created by a loving God with specific gifts and a specific purpose. Did you get that? You were carefully designed and created by a loving God with specific gifts and with a specific purpose. Now, today what I want to do is talk with you about how and why God constructed you the way you are. And if you understand that, guess what? It'll cause you to live uh, a life of stewardship toward God. It'll cause you to be a steward of your life. And it'll cause you, by the way, to take responsibility for your life. Think about it. In our world today, if you're an accident, there's no point in taking responsibility. Live however you can and however you want, right? But if we've been designed by God, then, then we are to be stewards of our life. Now, you are not a steward of my life, and I'm not a steward of your life. But both of us will give an account for what we have done with this life one day as we stand before God. Paul said in Romans 14, he said, It is written, as I live, says the Lord, 
every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. And then he adds this statement. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, you know, one of the biggest problems with life stewardship can be reduced to one word, I think. And it's this word, externals. So much of our life is lived by the external standards of the age, right? I mean, we determine tragically that a life is valuable because of, of how it measures up to what the world says is valuable. But God doesn't look that way. And if we concentrate our life on the externals, our life will be consumed by things like what I look like, uh, what I possess, who my friends are, what my voc uh, vocation is. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but those are not the things that determine our value. Does that make sense? And if we live focused on those things, it will cause us to have a real skewed perspective of our value and our purpose and why God created us. And people that spend their life pursuing those things, the external things, rather than the internal, eternal kinds of things, will find themselves in a rather frustrating position in life, uh, going through valleys and peaks and ups and downs in, in the journey because those things change, don't they? What you look like, I mean, uh, what you possess, uh, friends come and go, all of those things change. And so that's why externals are not the means by which we are to determine our purpose and our value in this life. In 2007, um, uh, pro baseball pitcher Matt White had an aunt, and his aunt had been diagnosed with a pretty severe illness. And um, she owned uh, 50 acres of property in the Massachusetts area, and she, uh, she needed to get rid of it. It's just more than she could handle. And so Matt, the, her, her nephew, um, pro baseball player, uh, had it appraised, and he paid her the appraisal price of $50,000 for the property. And um, as he began to survey the property, he was surveying it so he could build a home on the property. And he happened to notice on the property that there were these uh, ledges, these outcroppings of, of rock. And he, he noticed that rock, and it looked a little different, but just occasionally he'd see a little bit of this rock kind of peeking out from some of the, some of the ground. And what he found out is it was called, he called a geologist to come out and say, could you tell me what that is? It looks a little different. And the geologist said, yeah, that's Goshen stone, Goshen stone. And he said, it's very popular for patios and sidewalks and things like that, landscaping. And, that. and at the time in 2007, when he discovered that, listen, it was worth about $100 a ton. And so he said, okay, well, you know, we, maybe we can use that somehow. And he, at any rate, so he got the, this uh, geologist to, um, to hire a, a company that could survey the property and tell him how much of this Goshen stone is there. And what he found out is what he, he had 24 million tons of that rock on his property. Just let me help you do the math. That's about $2 billion worth of this stone. And... And he discovered it by looking uh, at the external, saying, well, that might be useful. But when they did an internal study, they found out the real value. Now, now here's why I tell you that. A lot of people look at their life that way. They just say, what, does it, what, what is the value on the outside, right? 
well, it looks like you've got a, a little bit of rock there and a little bit of value. But it wasn't until they investigated the, that which you couldn't see. And you know, that's exactly what God says. Your value may surprise you. Your value is not in what you see on the outside. Your value is what God sees on the inside. How do we know that? Well, listen to what God said about David when they were getting ready to select that when God was appointing the first king. And he tells Samuel, Samuel's this great man of God, and, and he's been charged with the task of, of uh, helping uh, pick out the next king. And so uh, Jesse had these sons, and he parades, you know, the ones externally that looked like this guy could be the king, this guy could be the king, this guy. And finally, Samuel says, I don't see the king here, but God has said the king's coming from your family. Do you have any more sons? He said, yeah, we had this scrawny little ruddy complected kid and he's just out there with the sheep and Samuel said bring him in here and he was David uh, by the way for all the squirts in the world David's a great model you ever felt like yeah I'm just a squirt David's the model and so he said bring him in and when he did God whispered to the, the man of God said this is him and listen to what God said, because if you had looked at all the other brothers, uh, you would have said, he's the last one I would select. He just didn't fit the part. Does that make sense? By the way, if you ever, let me just insert something. If you ever feel like, God, I, what could you do through me? You go look at David. He became a man after God's own heart. You see, it's not about, it's not about your externals. It's about the stuff that goes on, because here's what God said to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at him on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. That doesn't mean God rejected him, but he means I've rejected the externals as a measuring stick for his usefulness. And then he goes on, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, your, your usefulness to God is about your internal design. God measures you by the internal, not the external. And that's what makes you special to God. And it's what's on the inside first that God looks at. And so that's why God doesn't measure us the way others tend to, because you can get really discouraged if you start comparing yourself with other people. Hello? You ever done that? Oh man, I'm not as talented as them. You know, I don't, I don't have these gifts or these abilities and everything. And you can get really discouraged, right? I know when Bradley sees me do music and everything, he gets really discouraged. <laughs> because I even attempt, right? That's what discourages him. Oh, God, please don't let him do that again. No, but seriously, we, get, we can get discouraged. That's why the Bible says they that compare themselves among one another are not wise. Because, see, God doesn't do that. He doesn't compare you to somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. You know what God does? He says, you're unique. Chuck reminded me of something that I said several years ago in a message when I told him what I was talking about. He said, I remember you said this in a message that God created you an original, don't die a copy. And it's true. And so God looks on the inside. But if you don't, if you don't see like God sees about who you are, you're going to get it all messed up. And you're going to be on a roller coaster up and down of frustrations and discouragement with your life. In fact, did you notice something? Look at verse 13, the, where God starts with this whole thing. For you form, David says, you form my inward parts. You form my inward parts. You know what he's saying? 
To understand that God designed you, you have to understand that God designed you from the inside out. He started on the inside. I'm not talking about your organs and all that. I'm talking about your soul. God starts there. He starts, and he builds you from the inside out. Your divine design then means that God has a special purpose for your existence. I want to show you four things this morning. Number one, verse 13 reminds us that you were created by the will of God. You were created by the will of God. The fact is, before your mother ever conceived you, God designed you. Before you had biological life, guess what you had? You had spiritual life. God had already pre-designed you. Um, our daughter uh, came in from Brentwood last night, and she, uh, uh, she is great with child. That's why she's not here. But the doctor cleared her to drive uh, down here, and uh, she is great with child. And in the next several weeks, she'll deliver our second grandson, if all goes well. And I have to tell you something, when I look at that bump, you know, the baby bump, and I've been talking to it and everything and kind of preaching to it and praying for it. But I want to tell you something. When I look at that, I realize, God, there's purpose and design in his life. My existing grandson, I already pray for him. God, help him know why you created him. And his, uh, he has divine design. We are created by the will of God. And that refutes some of the stuff we've been talking about, doesn't it, for the past several weeks? For example, that statement alone, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together, it refutes the teaching that you're, you're, you're just an accident. Listen, don't, don't you ever believe that you were not supposed to be here? Lawrence uh, M. Krauss is an atheistic um, physicist and cosmologist. He's the author of A Universe from Nothing. And in that book, he, and by the way, he's, he's been on Stephen Colbert and NPR and talking about his whole idea. And he argues that the laws of physics actually would allow for a universe to begin from nothing, meaning no energy. You don't need, he says, you don't need a deity and you don't need uh, uh, energy. You could, the universe could start from uh, zero total energy just because of quantum fluctuations those could produce a unit. By the way, I'd like to ask him, well, who produced the quantum fluctuations? I mean, everything you have to go back, right, to a source, a source, a source. He, and then, but listen to what he admits. He says, I can't prove that God doesn't exist, but I'd much rather live in a universe without one. I can't prove it, he says, but I'd rather live in a universe without one, so that's what I choose to believe, is that there isn't a, a God. Now, why does he say that? Listen, here's why, as we've been saying in this uh, series, because if he ever admits that there's a creator, he cannot, he has to be responsible for how he lives, right, and how he responds to the creator. If he ever says, yeah, there is a creator, um, that I'm not the product of chance, then he suddenly has to say, so what does the creator say about my life? But listen, he goes on further, uh, in his worldview, and he says this, and I quote, human beings are just a bit of pollution in the universe. If you get, got rid of us and all the stars and all the galaxies and all the plants and all the aliens and everybody, then the universe would be largely the same. We are completely irrelevant, is what he says. How depressing is that? I mean, 
Uh, many in the academic world and in the scientific community and the philosophic communities, and sadly some in the church, it has crawled into the church in some cases, want you to believe that you're just this, you're, you're just this cosmic pollution. And if so, you're just irrelevant. But the passage that we just read refutes the notion that you are uh, uh, an accident. You are the product of God's will. God planned for you to be here. Max Lucado writes this. He says, you weren't an accident. You were, you were not mass produced. You aren't an, an assembly line product. You were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on the earth by the master craftsman. But I'll tell you, it doesn't just refute that we're an accident. It also refutes the idea that we're a mistake. And listen, just like I said, don't ever believe you're an accident. Don't ever believe you're a mistake. And there is a difference. You say, yeah, but, you know, I've been told that I wasn't intended. Or I've had relatives say, or, or a mother or father say, we, we didn't intend for you to be here. Those sorts of things. And I don't know what kind of damage that can do to a person's psyche. But I tell you this, if you understand what God says about you, that'll refute that whole idea that you were a mistake. You were not a mistake. I don't care how you got here. God intended for you to be here and God intends for you to understand that he created you on purpose and with purpose your existence and your life has value because God designed it and designed you now you might have been raised in a dysfunctional family you may have uh, been raised in a, a, a dysfunctional home and, and maybe that home never communicated to you how valuable you are and maybe you've lived your life trying to find value and prove yourself to others Maybe if I can get others to accept me and others to receive me, then maybe I, I can find purpose and value in my own life. But if that's you, listen to me this morning. Stop trying to find your value in the affirmation and the acceptance of others. Instead, find your value right here where God has already affirmed your value. You are here because you are designed by the will of God. God intended for you to be here. And listen, stop trying to find it in the, let, let me tell you the greatest affirmation of your life. I want to tell you the greatest affirmation of your value. You know what it is? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what that is? That is the ultimate statement of your value. So I don't care what others might say about you. I don't care how hard you've been working to try to, to hopefully prove that you have value. God says you have value, Period. You, you got value. And if you didn't, he would not have sent his son to die for your sins on the cross. It is the ultimate statement of value, right? So always remember that. So my value is found in what God says about me. And, and that'll get you off of the, the, out of the rat race of trying to prove that you're worth something. Now, you say, gosh, then I can just kind of be a lazy saint. No, you can't. But you don't have to live your life trying to prove yourself. Instead, you live your life for the purpose you were created, and that is to accomplish, uh, to live out of the, the uh, uh, will of God. Never forget that. You, he, God intended you. Uh, and, and, and if you get that, you have understood the greatest affirmation that could ever be directed at you. Rick Warren said this, God never does anything accidentally, and he never makes mistakes. So why am I here? Okay, I started the thing. Why am I here? Well, David answers that in verse 14. That's the second thing I want you to see this morning. You were created not only by the will of God, you were created to work for God. 
In verse 14, he says, I'm fearfully, I praise you, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'll come back to that in a minute. But he says this in verse 16. Verse 16 is a great verse. And I want to tell you something. Verse 16 has been one of those verses that has really been powerful in my life in the last year in particular. And in that, he says, look at this, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, verse 14. And in your book, that is the book of life, were written the days that were formed for me, the days that were formed for me before there ever was one. You know what he's saying? God created you to to live for him, to work for him. God's already created that. That's a purpose for you. Billy Graham said, God's more interested in your future than you are. And being a steward of this life that we have been given is all about accomplishing everything that God puts you on this planet to accomplish. And I'll come to this in just a a few minutes, but, but you can fulfill the purpose that God created you for. All of us are important in the grand scheme of God's eternal plan. We all play roles. We all have parts and we all have work to do for God. We've all been created uniquely with those things in common. We are parts and we have roles. And, and by the way, I can't carry out your role. You can't carry out my role. But if we all carry out our roles, guess what? We live in the fullness of relationship with Christ. And then the work of God gets accomplished for the kingdom of God. Listen to how God explained that whole process to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, great prophet. In uh, Jeremiah chapter one and verses four and five, the scripture says, now the word of the Lord came to me. Jeremiah says that God spoke to me. And this is what he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying, right? And, but listen, it gets better. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That is, I, I gave you a purpose. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You say, well, that's Jeremiah. But that principle transcends Jeremiah. What God was saying is, just like the psalmist is, before you were born, I'd already created you in my heart, and I'd already created you with the purpose. He said, Jeremiah, in your case, I consecrated you to be a prophet. Listen, let me tell you something as you say, yeah, but I, I'm not a prophet. Do you know all of us are, are, all of us, if we are in the kingdom, we all of us, Everything about our lives is to be a holy vocation for God. Everything you do is to glorify God. That's why Paul said, whatever you do, uh, uh, whatever you say in word, whatever you do indeed, do all for the glory of God. All of us are in ministry if we are in Christ. Hello? So it doesn't really matter. You see, you just have to understand, God, you've put me in a certain place to use my gifts and abilities as as a part of your family, so I want to glorify you in that. And if you're doing that, you're fulfilling your role. And if you're fulfilling your role, you're doing the work of God. If you're doing the work of God, you bring glory to God. I mean, that's, that's the cool thing. And so that's what he said to Jeremiah. I had this plan for you from the very beginning to work for me, to serve me. That's true of all of our lives. And listen, but he goes on to say, Jeremiah, the prophet, God also says to him, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Listen to me. Life's greatest fulfillment comes in in knowing that you are doing what God designed you to do. And when you know that you are doing what God designed you to do, you will be doing the work of God. I'm sometimes asked by other pastors over the years, I'm asked by other pastors and other Christian workers 
a question that goes something like this, Ray, how do you deal with when other churches contact you? So other church contacts you and say, we want to talk to you about coming to be our pastor. How do you deal with that? And it's a question a lot of times that a, a Christian worker or a pastor has to answer because they will get opportunities in other ways. And they said, so how do you do it? How do you respond to that? And I, I say, well, I answer two questions personally. And the first question I always answer, I ask myself is, Ray, are you doing what God designed you to do? Are you doing what God designed you to do? And I can tell you after 40 plus years and even longer as a, as a Christian, I guess about 50 years as a Christian, I can tell you something. I can answer that question better today than ever before. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? That's the first question I answer. The second question I answer is, Ray, are you doing what you're supposed to do where you're supposed to do it? And you see, if you can answer those two questions, you can have a pretty, you can have pretty good knowledge of are you doing, are you living out, are you working for God where you're supposed to be working for God? And I said, if you, I tell these folks, if you can answer those two questions, you'll, you'll solve your, uh, your dilemma. And now you say, yeah, but I'm not in vocational ministry. Okay, the questions work for anything. You don't have to be. I'm just saying that's how, that, that's how I deal with those sorts of things. So the two questions will help you greatly. They work for anyone. But, but I would put this caveat on here. If, if you can't answer those questions, it's possible that you're not doing the work of God where you are. Or you're not doing the work that God designed you for. Um, and or you're not doing what you're doing for the glory of God. So just kind of file that up. Okay, but there's more. Number three on your outline is this. You were created to worship God. Now, okay, are you with me? You were created by the will of God. God intended for you to exist. Number two, you were created because God intended for you to exist. You were created to serve and live out your life for his purpose, and there's great fulfillment when you, when you do that. And then number three, you were created to worship God. Uh, verse 14 says, I praise you. So many places we could go, like Psalm 99, 5, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Now, let me tell you something. You were created to worship God, and as your fellowship with God grows, your desire to worship him will increase. Do you get that? As your fellowship with God grows, your desire to worship him will increase. Why is that? It is because the more you get to know him, the more you will realize what he has done for you, and the more you realize just who he is. And that will produce this desire to worship him. Right? So fellowship is important. Now, you know, fellowship is important to a lot of things. Fellowship is important to, to us. You know what is, you know, one of, one of my great struggles as a pastor over the last year has been that this COVID thing has, has caused our fellowship to decline. I, I don't mean in numbers. I mean, the, the interpersonal kind of fellowship that you get. There's something about being with other people. God has designed this way why the church, one of the reasons the church started in the first century. We, we take strength. I had some folks that were new back in the first service, several, and they said afterwards, Pastor, we've been watching. This is our first time back in a year. And they said, but, but man, it's so different. We've loved the media and all of that, and we thank God for those who are being ministered to. We already know today hundreds and hundreds and literally hundreds and hundreds of people have been tuned into our broadcast today. We're grateful for that. We thank God for that. But 
uh, all of the folks that, that have been able to get back and come back and say this to me. It's just not the same. And it isn't because we have been created for relationship, haven't we? And, uh, and so relationship is important. That's one of the benefits of the church, you know, is that we have relationship. And it is neat to see more people coming back for fellowship and encouragement with one another. But listen, we need that. But you need a greater kind of fellowship, and that is fellowship with God. Because your fellowship with God, and you know what fellowship is, it's a bunch of fellows in the same ship. I, I mean, and, and because we have this kinship with God, guess what? We have kinship with one another. We strengthen each other. and that's all. But the kinship with God does something. It produces a desire to worship him. It's just the old principle of who you spend time with. You become like those that you spend time with, all right? Uh, you, you become like they do. You pick up their thoughts, their habits, their worldviews, all of You become, that's why we need each other. But to have this kind of fellowship, we need this kind of fellowship. Hello? And the more of this kind of fellowship we have, the more we get to know him, and the more we get to know him, the more we want to worship him because we realize something. Our God is awesome. We realize that we're connected to God Almighty. Just contemplate that fact for a second. If you know Christ, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you, uh, you, you have access to God Almighty. You have access to the master of the universe. You have access to the ruler of nations, the giver of life, the alpha and omega, the God of salvation, the supreme judge of all humanity, the sustainer of life, and the Lord of all history. Wow. Your personal friendship becomes real with God. And because of that, just like David, you can praise him. Because he has created us for this relationship. Have you ever dropped a name? How many of you have ever dropped a name? Come on, be honest. You're in church. How many? Uh, thank you, all three of you. Ray, Ray Jones, that one will get you in trouble. <laughs> You've dropped, you know what I'm talking about. Or have you ever been around a person who drops names all the time? Now, sometimes it can be well-intentioned and it can be impressive, can't it? And sometimes it can be downright nauseating, you know? But what is a person doing when they drop a name, whether impressively or not? What are they doing? I, I think what they're doing is they're lifting up a name of somebody that has clout. Oh, I know, I, I've talked to, or I can talk to, or I know so-and-so and so-and-so. And what they're wanting to do is let people know I'm connected. I'm connected. Do you know what worship is? It's name-dropping. But it's name dropping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have you noticed how many of the songs we sing talk about praising his name, praising, lifting up his name? Have you noticed that? What is that? We're name dropping. You know what we're saying? We're praising him. Saying, well, I'm connected. I can talk to him. And he hears me. I, I'm connected. You have, you, God has created you for that reason. On October 30th, 2010, I may have showed a video of this. I think I did some years ago. But uh, something really cool happened. It happened at Macy's in Philadelphia. October, on this designated day, there were 600 singers 
And they were dressed in just regular civilian clothes, and they were interspersed throughout the whole of this large Macy's in downtown Philadelphia. And they had all been, there's something that's about to happen, you, you know, and they all knew it, but the, they're mingled in with all the other shoppers. And at 12 noon, they, the largest pipe organ in the world, the Wanamaker organ in that, so I guess it's still there, I don't know, but the largest organ suddenly began to play the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The, Handel's, uh, the, the Hallelujah Chorus, Hallelujah, ah, that sort of thing. All of a sudden, it happened. And these 600 singers dispersed through the whole story. You know what they did? They stopped. On cue, they all knew well, what to do. And they started singing this. And it is, you can go get a video, probably still find a video of that. You ought to, man. It'll give you chills watching it. And the people in the store were mesmerized. You imagine that? You're walking down, and all of a sudden, three people over here start singing the hallelujah chorus and you go over here and three people are singing the hallelujah and all of a sudden, and it was reverberating throughout the whole, uh, the whole place. And it was absolutely awesome. It was one of those worship kinds of moments that happened. And, and the people, when they finished the people, people all over the store began to applaud them. Listen, we are created to worship God wherever we are to bring glory to his name. And we do it with our lives and we do it with our words. And we ought to never be ashamed to speak out and speak up and sing out the name of God. We were created to bring him glory. And I want to tell you something. When you worship God, when you worship who he is, guess what happens? Even people that don't know him are mesmerized by worship. Why? Because the Bible says where, the, uh, where God's people praise him, he inhabits them. The presence of the Lord comes on. We're designed to worship. Listen, the psalmist said in Psalm 34, 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 109, verse 30, With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng. Psalm 111, 1, praise the Lord. And I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in, in the congregation. Psalm 113, 1, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 115, 17, and 18. The dead do not praise the Lord. Think about that. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Psalm 146, 2. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Revelation 19, 5. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Psalm 29, 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And then listen to this, Revelation 8, verses 8 and following. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who live forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Amen. Wow. 
Look, you're just not the product of chance. You were created by the will of God. You were created for the work of God. You were created to worship God. And then last, you were created to walk with God. Number four, you were created to walk with God. Verse 16, I, I refer you to again. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You were created to walk with God. God's already, God had already preordained that you would know and walk with him. God created you for fellowship with himself. What a privilege. What, what a privilege. Take that in. When you walk out here today, think about this. God created me to have this relationship with him. And relationship, we talked about fellowship a minute ago, but relationship and fellowship are two sides of the same coin. But it is, listen, it is your fellowship that determines the level of your relationship. It's your fellowship that determines the level of your relationship. Verse 16 is this great confession of relationship. And David acknowledges that God had created him to walk with his heavenly father and that God had created the calendar for his life in advance and in relation to his creator. In fact, let me show you four things about, about, that, about the calendar because he says in in your book was written all the days of my life before there was one. Let me give you four things about the calendar. Number one, the calendar is unique to each of us. God has a unique calendar for every one of us, and that calendar was initiated before you ever came into this world. Don't worry about somebody else's calendar. You live out because you have enough time, however that is, you have enough time to live out the purpose of God for your life so that you can stand before God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So don't worry about somebody else's calendar, but God has given you a calendar. Do you know that? You're living by a divine calendar. You say, I, I didn't know that. It's not the kind that you have. It's not a daytimer, though maybe that's a way to think of it. Day by day, living for him, living out the purpose. But it's unique. All of us have a different calendar. And by the way, have you ever heard somebody that, that they've lost a loved one and they've grieved and said, oh, they were so young. They were so young. I want to tell you something. Now, listen, I don't mean this irreverently. They lived out of the calendar of God. And, and if they're a believer, you don't, don't worry about them. Because they didn't cease their operating in the kingdom, the realm of the kingdom of God. And by, by the way, not a single one of them would say, oh, if I could just go back to earth. If I could just go back to my physical life, not a single one of them would say that. So don't worry because God has already designed the clock, okay? Now you don't have to be, you don't have to say, well, if God's already designed the clock, I'm going to throw caution to the wind. People have asked me about that during this COVID thing over the past year. And I said, look, be smart. You know, be smart. Do smart things. Don't, uh, don't test God. But at the same time, I say, but don't live in fear. Why? Because all the days of your life have been marked out by, by God before you ever live one. There's a, there is a, a God clock, a God calendar for your life. Number two, the calendar was created before we were, as I said. You, it's already, it was established long before you came onto the planet. So, so you can't change the calendar. Just recognize that God had created the calendar and uh, before you... Uh, 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 came about and you can live out the purpose of God because of the calendar created 
for your life. Number three, the calendar is controlled by God. It's not only created by God, it's controlled by God. It's not only unique to your life, it's controlled by God. Did you know the Bible says there's a fixed day when he will return? There's already a fixed day that the Father knows. We don't know when that is. We're just told to be ready. There's a fixed day out there. Did you know there is a fixed day for judgment? Did you know there's a fixed day when you will stand before God? It is... um, Uh, The Bible says that it is appointed for man to die once and after this, the judgment. There's a fixed time out there because God controls the calendar. And then number four, the calendar is intended to be lived out through your walk with the Creator. The calendar is designed for you to live in relationship with Him uh, and His purpose for you. So it's all about using your life. The calendar is all about using your life the way God intended. You've heard, have y'all heard this line before? Now it's kind of an old line. It says, uh, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for God is going to last. It's kind of a cliche, but it really is true. This life will one to be, and you say again, you know, well, what about uh, young people? Don't worry about young people that go on uh, into the kingdom if they know Christ. Don't worry about that because I want to tell you something. God had the clock. God had the calendar. I didn't say don't grieve. I, I didn't say it's not right to hurt when somebody, when you lose somebody. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this life is short. Did y'all know Robert is 97 years old? <laughs> Give or take 40 years. But I want to tell you something. If you live to be 95 or 100, do you know in the scheme of things, that's just a short amount of time in the scheme of eternity, right? So, so listen, just remember that God controls the clock and, the cal- and, and what he designs, if it's 40 years or if it's 100 years, what God wants is for me to live out the purpose for which he created. And he has, through his calendar for you, given you all the necessary time you need to do that. The Bible says about Abraham that Abraham was called the friend of God. The Bible says that Moses talked to God as a friend talks to a friend. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God. You understand? Why are we told those things? We're told those things to understand that that can be said of us. That he walked with God. That he was a friend of God. That means that you and I understand the calendar. And we use our life to pursue our creator and to know him and to walk with him. The most important thing in all of life is to get the fact that God wants to have a relationship with you. That's the most important thing. God designed you to walk with him in deep relationship and friendship. So don't let the world... Don't let the world fill you full of lies and rob you with myths about the joy of walking with your creator. Walking with your creator is part of your design. You were designed for that. Don't miss that. I want to close by telling you a story, a book I've I've, uh, read recently. Uh, It's an autobiography by a guy named Eric Metaxas. Metaxas is a scintillating mind. This guy's uh, a brilliant and he's deeply committed uh, to Jesus Christ. He's a, he's a strong follower of Jesus Christ. The book's called Fish Out of Water, and uh, it's very good. And in part of it, he talks about his days at Yale University. 
And he tells about how one day he was walking past the Sterling Memorial Library in a nave, and then he turned back right, headed toward the circulation area. And he, he, he noted that uh, in this hallway area, there are four medieval-style sculptors uh, or 3D, three-dimensional sculptings. And each of them represented an aspect of student kind of life. And the first one shows this, this guy who is drinking a mug of beer beneath a curvaceous pinup. Another, the second one is a student snoozing who's gone to sleep while he's trying to study. The third one, he says, is a student listening to the radio. And he says, in that day, that was kind of the, the thing. You know, today we would listen to, what, our phones and that kind of thing. But they were listening to a radio. That was the third one. Um, and uh, he said, this building is kind of represents almost a, a, a temple to the secular ideals of knowledge and learning. But he said it was the force sculpting that took what these kind of joke-like medieval sculptings uh, represent to the ultimate place. And he said it struck him personally because he said, uh, when I first saw it, uh, it was the only one that depicted a student actually studying. The others were all distractions, entertainment, that kind of stuff. And he said, but as I, I observed it closer, the student was reading a book, but holding the book. And on the left page of the book, there were engraved these letters, U-R-A. And then on the right page of the book, he noticed that there were two letters across the top and two across the bottom. And the first one was J, the second one was, uh, was O, the third one was K, and the fourth one was E. Y'all get the picture? He said, this is the only person who's studying in all of those sculptings, and, but he realizes that even this is a joke when it says, you are a joke. And um, he said it, was, it seemed like it was saying or communicating this message to, the, to his term, the earnest fellow who, unlike the other three depictions, it's saying that the person who goes to the trouble of studying will find at the end that all knowledge is just simply surprising and quite troubling and that the idea is that you yourself are a joke and not merely because you're fool enough to bother with studying when you could be sleeping or enter, uh, engaged in entertainment, but because after all your struggles, you discover that at the end of everything is the idea that your very existence is itself absurd. Think about that on the wall there of the library, the learning center there at Yale University. And he said, in other words, we have at last found that the end of the search for truth and meaning is the idea that there is no truth and meaning to life, so the joke is on you. Now, he doesn't believe that, but he's saying that's the message that it communicates that you can, you can study and, and, and learn all you want, but the fact is life has no meaning. In the end, all you get is this kind of cruel reality that no matter what you learn and what you study, you find out that you're, you're just, uh, you're just a, a product of chance. And he said that was because by this time Darwin and Einstein and Freud have, had already enlightened us with the principles of the futility of our life. And it, got, it rocked him. He was already at that time a professing Christian, but he was not a, a faithful Christian. 
But when I read that part of the story, I thought immediately of 2 Timothy 3, 7 that says, always learning, but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And I thought that's a lot of what's going on in our world out there. Myths that have been believed. You're just accidents. You, there's no hope. At the end, you'll just discover life has no meaning. Never believe for a moment that you are a cosmic joke. Not to God. Never believe that your life has no meaning. God prescribed you before you ever entered your mom's womb. Your time and your purpose have a God stamp on them. And that's why your life in this life is so important. Because you were put here with a God-given mission to carry out, and you have been given a calendar to do it in. A lot of people today who've been deformed by lies and myths of the world instead of the truth of God. Everything, do you understand everything sooner or later, everything in life is about God. Sooner or later, everything in life is about God. So don't miss God and don't miss the purpose that he created you for. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for creating us with purpose. Thank you. Thank you that we are carefully and wonderfully crafted by your hand. Father, by your will we were created, and for your work we were created. For worship we were created, and to walk with you we were created. Lord, help us burn that into us. Thank you that David understood it and has passed it on to us through the psalm. And so, Lord, I pray for any that are watching us today on live stream or any in this live audience that have never put their trust personally in Jesus Christ, that you will cause them to see that you are the author of their life, that you are the author of their soul, and that they are here because you love them and you have plans for them. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Those of you who are joining us by live stream and those of you who are here in this live audience, if you have never put your trust, your personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do just that today. You can call on him right now in your heart. You can call, pray something like this. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on him. Say, Lord Jesus, I know about you. I've understood that you are the creator, but Lord, I've never trusted you personally. And today I want to, I want to call on you. I want you to become my personal Lord, Savior, and Master. I invite you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my Savior. If you call out to him that way, he'll hear that prayer. As many as received him, the Bible says to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know what, I, I've done that. I've taken care of that. I've put my trust in Jesus Christ, put my soul in his hands, and that's a great thing. But maybe you say, but you know what? I haven't been walking in fellowship with him. I haven't been uh, uh, serving him with my life. I haven't been living out the purpose for my design. I hadn't even been seeking that purpose to understand that. And I want the fullness that comes from walking with him and living my life for his purpose. And so... Why don't you just say something? Lord, I thank you that I know you, but Father, forgive me for not walking 
in my purpose and help me, Father, to discover it if I don't know it. Uh, but help me, Father, to live for you, to walk with you, to experience you, desire you. Lord, I come to you and I, I just surrender afresh. Forgive me, Father, for forgetting your purpose. Forgive me, Father, for being misled by lies and myths of the age. And Father, restore a, a vibrancy to my relationship with you. Now, Lord, I thank you for those who have called out to you in either of these prayers today. And I pray that, Father, you'll help them as they begin new journeys and renewed journeys. Father, bless them along the course. Protect them from the evil one who will try to undermine the decisions that they've made. Help them to walk in the, fresh, the freshness of the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look this way before we're gone? I just want to encourage you, those of you who are joining us by live stream or television, I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, that first prayer, would you let us know about your decision? You'll see contact information on the screen in front of you. Would you, you say, I prayed that prayer. I trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you simply text the word pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, to this number, 334-384-8080. If you will just text that word to that number, We'll take it from there. Don't you worry about it. You may be watching and say, I'd like to join Ridgecrest. I can't tell you how many people have joined us in the last year and more and more are coming back. And you say, I'm, I'm going to get back in the gathered fellowship and we can't wait for that. Maybe you say, I need a church family. You know, a Christian without a church home that they belong to or connect or like an orphan. So I want to encourage you today to say, I'd like to join Ridgecrest. I need a church home. I want Ridgecrest to be that church home. Just text that word, J-O-I-N, to the same number, 334-384-8080, and we'll take it from there. You might need to be baptized, like Gilbert this morning, and you just text that word, baptized, and we will, again, we'll schedule it and take it from there for you in this live audience. You can text any of those words to us if that's what you would like to do. Or you can take that tear-off panel and you can just, on the back of your worship folder, and just check the decision. Drop that in the offering basket before you leave today. I'm so glad you've been here. I hope you've been encouraged by the Word of God. You're here on purpose. And that's a good thing.